One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of the Self-Build Plus podcast, where we chat with self-builders, suppliers, and experts about all things home building and renovating in Ireland on both sides of the border. I'm Astrid Matson, your host and the editor of Self-Build Magazine. This is the last episode in our series dedicated to mica-affected homeowners. First up is John Corliss, our resident construction expert. He's here to chat about everything to consider beyond the basic introduction to self-building he gave us a few weeks ago. Wrapping up the event then is Michael Doherty of the MICA Action Group. Okay, so the, the first thing I want to talk about is energy efficiency of the building. That's not if the building, that's a typo, and I apologize for that, along with apologizing for being early. And this is from uh, Technical Guidance Documents, which is the Building Regulations Part L. And it says, uh, and the reason I, I'm not going to dwell too much on this, but I just wanted to, to um, quote this particular paragraph because it is its significance in construction today. A building shall be designed and constructed so as to ensure that the energy performance of the building is such as to limit the amount of energy required for the operation of the building and the amount of carbon dioxide emissions associated with this energy use insofar as is reasonably practicable. And that's from, as I said, uh, technical guidance document part L of the building regulations. And the reason that, that that paragraph and that little section there is so significant is that it is, uh, it talks about the energy balance uh, for the provision of space heating, cooling, water heating, ventilation, and lighting of buildings. So this is, is a, a very important um, thing because this requirement affects almost every aspect, aspect of the self-build. Um, the requirements of part L of the building regs can be challenging to meet. Uh, these, this, to meet this requirement now has had an impact on virtually every part of a building and, 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 uh, and of buildings in general. And it's part of the reason why buildings are so expensive to construct nowadays. Um, so it adds consider considerably to the upfront cost of building. Uh, but the trade-off then 
is reduced energy bills uh, and long term, uh, sorry, long term, plus the environmental benefits. So it's a kind of a way of front loading, really, the cost of running the house by putting more insulation and building the house better than we did years ago um, and paying for the cost of that up front and then have the reduced energy costs going forward. But the big winner is the environmental benefits. There's an interesting debate as to whether or not the um, upfront cost is met when you take into account the cost of a mortgage. But I'm not going to go into that. That's a different debate. The long-term winner there anyway is the environmental benefits. But the most cost-effective way that you can meet this and the best way that you can meet this requirement is by building a reasonably sized house or a sm the smaller the house, the better pretty much that once you get into bigger houses and bigger and bigger and bigger in terms of square meters of floor area what happens then is that the energy requirement to keep that house um, to a comfortable temperature is high and a large portion of the energy consumed by a house has to be generated on site so the cost of generating on site uh, is quite expensive so the smaller the house the less that is so the the most energy efficient way you can build the modern houses to keep the size fairly reasonable. Now, I'm not for one minute suggesting that we should start building tiny houses or anything like that, but just to be a bear in mind that the house that is adequate at say 220 square meters, uh, if it, that's enough for your family, well, if you decide to build 30 square or 300 square meters, then you're going to have a huge cost uh, associated with that that you won't really get full benefit from. So I'm going to talk very briefly about external wall finishes. Um, a lot of system houses and timber frame houses and everything still require an external leaf of blockwork or brickwork or whatever uh, on the outside. So there's more things to consider uh, other than the structure when you're doing external wall finishes. Uh, one of them is the waterproof properties. Um, another one is maintenance going forward. And the other one, uh, next one, is the life of the uh, the building um, and the life of that external uh, finish. So in terms of waterproofing and why waterproofing would be important, well, I mean, it's an obvious one. It's the, to use the cliche, it's a no brainer. But there are considerations to take into account when you're building a house, particularly in the western seaboard. I live in Mayo and we get horizontal driven rain. Tourists nearly take photographs of it. Um, and we, it's, it's not prevalent in other parts of the country or other countries. So that horizontal driven, wind driven rain um, can be quite challenging for external wall finishes. Um, so the waterproof properties um, are quite important. Maintenance as well is another issue and another concern. Um, most houses nowadays, the less maintenance that there is to them, the better. And indeed, if you own any property, there's always maintenance issues. But you know, if you can get something that will um, have a finish on it, for example, and won't require painting or won't require uh, much maintenance, well, obviously that uh, would have advantages. And also the life of that. So uh, I'm gonna talk about the water ingress just for a second, in particular in relation to brick, because brick is a very porous material. And I was at a seminar by the Construction Industry Federation, must be 25 years ago now, and they were preaching at the time about not building brick chimneys in houses, that they were gone, thing of the past, because water would get into the brick and come down the uh, chimney. Now, the chimneys are, are pretty much um, 
uh, goner anymore in the modern house, but in any event, um, the brick on the outer skin of a wall. So if you're having a timber frame house built, for example, and you decide to put brick on it or whatever, uh, brick is a very porous material. It absorbs moisture and can carry it into the cavity. And cladding systems can have issues then at joints and corners and great care and attention is needed. When I talk about cladding systems, I mean where there is a timber or metal frame uh, as the outer uh, and that's coated with either plywood or um, MDF or, well, not MDF, strand board. Um, and then that's often coated with a membrane or a couple of coats of a membrane or whatever. But uh, anything on the outside there, it, at joints and uh, around windows and corners and around the um, reveal detail and anything like that, great care and attention is needed in the construction there. And it's, like I said, it's particularly risky along Western seaboard of Ireland because of that wind-driven, almost horizontal rain. So I have photographs now. I didn't bother putting photographs of brick because I thought there wasn't a lot of point. Everybody knew what brick was. Um, so I'm talking about roof cladding now. The options there are the normal one that not, sorry, normal isn't the word to use. Then probably the most common one uh, is fiber cement slates nowadays. But there are other options as well. Natural slate is one. Uh, various metals, most commonly one is zinc. Um, and various membranes as well. The membranes are usually used on flat roofs or near flat roofs because it's easier to seal them fully. Uh, fiberglass would be another. And then there's less common ones like shingles and thatch. And there isn't much of that nowadays. Uh, so in terms of roof cladding, these are natural slates and there's nothing particularly um, exciting or anything to say about this, except that when you buy slates, natural slates, they will come in different thicknesses. And you're looking if it's restricted to two thicknesses, two broad thicknesses. Well, there might be little imperfections on the surface of the slate, and that will cause uh, the, the, these slates above it not to sit correctly on it. So if you put that uh, one with sort of imperfections or pimples or the like here, then you've got to put another one here, and you've got to put another one over here. Because if you don't, these two slates above will sit up on those pimples and these won't and your roof will be up and down and it'll look a mess and you'll be looking up at it and you'll know it doesn't look right and you'll wonder why but that will be the reason why because when you buy the slates they usually come in a number of thicknesses often three but if you get away with two it's fantastic so you have to grade the slates when you get them and you put all the thick ones together and all the thin ones together and then you use all the thin ones on the front of the house or the back of the house and you use the thick ones on the other side or whatever. So if there are different thicknesses of slates, they have to be, as I said, graded. And then that size or that thickness put on one aspect of the house to get the slates to look to look good. Uh, this one here is natural slate as well. And this is another thing to just watch out for. And that's various sizes. If you look, there's a substantial gap there between those two. And there's a good gap there as well between those. Now, I know there are other so there's another slate there to protect it and everything, but um, that's one of the issues with natural slate. While it does look really well um, and it won't discolor or any of those things, it won't twist with the sun, um, which isn't as much of a problem in Ireland as maybe we'd like that there would be a lot of sun. But with some, some um, fiber cement slates, for example, because they're painted uh, on one side, uh, if they're uh, black or nearly black, uh, when there's, if there's a lot of sun on them, it can cause the slate to bow slightly 
and rise up at the corners. But none of that will happen with natural slate. But you do get these variances in widths of slates and thicknesses and things like that. So that's just a consideration with natural slate. You might have to buy more square meters of slate than you actually need to roof your house because of that. That has been my experience of that. Concrete tiles um, are very common. The ones on the right here are made to look like that they are slate, but they're obviously uh, thicker. And these ones um, are um, corrugated or whatever. So concrete tiles, there's not many people using concrete tiles maybe that much anymore. I was looking the other day at an estate that's been built um, and it's been built for the local authority and they're using concrete tiles of this type uh, here on the right on it. Um, so the concrete tiles is an option there as well. And these are the fiber cement slates that I was talking about. This picture is not really of great quality and apologies for that. The only issue with those is, like I said, that um, on a really hot, sunny period of time, there was for a while anyway, batches of slates that would bow slightly. They would turn up a little bit in the corners because of the fact that they were painted on one side and not on the bottom. And then that was, they were black and it was absorbing the heat and it was causing the slight, slight curve um, on the uh, fiber cement slate. So those are just some of the options with that. The next one here is a zinc roof. It's a standing seam zinc roof being applied and it comes in panels that latch into each other and they're fixed down. Uh, and the guy is actually doing the work there at the moment. That mightn't be best practice now the way that guy is doing that, but I just got that photograph anyway. So um, this is a, a standing seam roof. They were very common in commercial buildings and hotels and schools and the like. Uh, but that uh, they've been used in houses now a lot uh, as well, and it can give you a, a different look. So I'm going to talk about windows for a moment. And um, legislation and technology has changed dramatically with windows over the last number of years. Um, window technology gets better every year. And every time there's new regulations, the requirement for the performance of windows uh, increases uh, all the time. And I, I think eventually, because I think ultimately myself, that the, the windows of the future won't have glass in them. They will have some form of plastic um, that will look like glass and perform exactly like glass, but it will be a much better insulator. But we're not there yet anyway. So obviously two separate parts of the window, the frame and the glazing. And the frame materials, the options, the most common options are wood, UPVC, uh, metal and metal clad wood. So these are um, wooden windows that have a metal a metal uh, little um, veneer or so on the outside of them. But the, the most common ones um, used are UPVC. Um, and glazing, then there's two options, double glazing and triple glazing. And uh, north facing aspects of a dwelling. Now, north facing aspects of a dwelling don't have any solar gain, that sun does not shine in from the north. So if you have a little bit of money in your budget and you can't afford to put double glazing, or sorry, triple glazing all around the house, at least put it in the north facing windows if you can, because there's no gain there. When a, when a sitting room or a, a room, a kitchen or whatever, dining room is lovely and warm because the sun is shining in, it's because the glass is a poor insulator. If the glass was a good insulator, it would be like looking at the sun on television. We would see it, we would see the brightness and everything, but we would not feel any temperature difference. So uh, triple glazing will have better thermal properties and in the north facing aspects of the dwelling should be triple glazed in my view um, 
for that reason, because there's no solar gain. Um, I want to talk very briefly about large, what I call view windows. I see these at the self-built shows all the time. People come to me with house plans and they have this large, large window where there's a spectacular view. And um, it's just, you know, it's something to, uh, that I'm going to talk about with the next slide that I'm going to show you. Uh, triple glazing is not that much more expensive than double glazing, but it is more expensive. But it's not, uh, I did a recent example lately, a small house that I got prices on, the triple glazing cost was 15% extra over. Uh, that should be double glazing, not single glazing there. Again, that's a typo. I did that in a bit of a rush today. So apologies there. So that it was it cost 15% more uh, to triple glaze the house than it would to have double glazed it. That's what it worked out at. And the couple involved went for the triple glazing then um, because they felt it was worth it. Uh, frame quality is also very important and manufacturing methods differ and pricing isn't always like for like. So if you're getting your windows priced and somebody says, my windows are going to cost you five grand and the next guy comes along and he says to you, my windows are going to cost you eight grand, there might not be a 3000 euro difference. There is uh, financially, but the windows might not be like for like in the method that they construct them, the method that the opening sashes close onto them, the amount of seals and the way they're sealed and locked and also and whether or not the joints uh, of the frame are welded or screwed together. The welded frame is a, a more expensive process. So be careful when you're buying windows that you're uh, comparing prices that they are uh, like for like apples for apples. So large glass areas lose heat and will challenge you on the building energy rating as well as on the home running costs. And that part L requirement that I talked about at the outset here. So large openings, they add more than the cost uh, to the window. Um, bespoke lentils or beams may be needed to support the structure overhead. And large corner openings can also, uh, also need to be properly considered before you decide to put them in. They will almost certainly require a steel upright support. And as well as cost, this can have a time impact. Uh, whereas the window manufacturer will tell you that they will have the windows made on whatever date and they're usually pretty good to that date. But if you have to get a bespoke lintel made up or whatever, you know, you might have to get an engineering company involved in that. And that can have um, time impact. And because it, it might not be something that they do all the time, their word might not be as good as maybe the window guy. So this is a photograph here. I just want to show you. Now, this house isn't sinking. It's just the way that the, the camera angle is. It's very low here. So it looks like the house has gone down here in the corner, but it hasn't that ground is raised. But I, what I wanted to draw your attention to here was this corner window that is here and this support beam that's here. So for the, to, to construct this, to put this in place, there's going to have to be some form of a support over here and going across here and leaning on the wall on both sides. Plus, as well as that, it needs a substantial support up along here built into the corner. So if you're designing that into your house, the window manufacturer might be surprising this pole, but they usually don't. They will tell you that their windows are not load bearing. So they're not designed to carry anything that's up here. Uh, so that window is going to need to have a lintel that's uh, manufactured specially for it to go around all of this. It has to be a one piece construction. And then there's this support that is going to have to come up through here. So there's cold bridging issues to be considered here. There is structural issues. This is going to have to be substantial.
to carry the weight of the corner that remember there's a bedrooms or whatever inside there. And it's also going to have to be uh, properly uh, treated that it won't, if it's metal, that it won't ru uh, rust or anything like that, probably have to be galvanized. So all of those things, as well as adding cost, add time. It's something that it takes time to do. And it's going to have to be ordered, manufactured specially, and it cannot bridge the cavity if there's a cavity construction there. It cannot breach that cavity. So it's got to be two separate pieces or it has got to be bonded together in some way that it won't break the, the cavity that's, that we're trying to protect uh, in the outer structure there. So, the, and I see loads of houses with those type of windows, the corner window, because they don't want, they want uninterrupted view as they look out from the sitting room or whatever to the view that's down here. And that's fair enough, but that comes with a cost and the cost isn't just financial. It comes, it's, the cost is three part really. It's financial, it's time, and it's also heat loss as well, because you probably wouldn't need, uh, I think that the rule of thumb is 10% of the floor area of the room uh, is the, should be the area of the window. And that will throw in an adequate amount of light, but it will only throw it back three, three and a half meters. Beyond that, uh, it won't throw it much, uh, you won't have adequate light. But a big window like this is a vanity thing and it's because of a view and that's not, it's not a matter of right or wrong, but just to bear in mind that that does come with its own considerations. I'm going to talk about intermediate floors now. It's the ceiling of the room we're in and the floor above it and it's for two-story or uh, higher buildings. Um, the common ones are wooden joists, holocore concrete slabs, concrete plate, block and beam, and poured in situ liquid concrete. So this one is just a, a sketch really, and it is the commonest commonest used one. Um, all the three bed and four bed semis, pretty much all of them anyway, use this method. It's timber joists here. The plasterboard is fixed to the bottom of it, and floorboards are usually sheets of uh, strand board are screwed to that upstairs, and then it's either a wooden floor or carpet, put over it. But either way, the joists here are doing two jobs. They're carrying the ceiling underneath and they're carrying the floor overhead. So that's kind of the most common one, the wooden joists. This one now is holocore. And this I know is a is a concrete uh, basement that's being built here. So it's this maybe doesn't look like a house, but it's the very same principle. Uh, and these holocore concrete slabs uh, rest on support walls and they drop in side by side like this and a screed is poured over them then that's a, another film of liquid concrete which goes down into this the gaps here between them and seals it all up but the big thing with holocore slabs is that okay it gives you concrete between the floors which is great it means that you have less sound transfer than you have with a wooden floor but this requires a crane. Now, the crane isn't shown in the photograph here, but it means that that crane has to crane that into position on your site. So that the when your, your site access road has to be fit to take a crane as well, and there's the cost of the crane. And even though the Holocore company themselves uh, will provide the crane and they will sort out all that, ultimately you are paying for it. So that's Holocore. The advantages of it is that you have a very solid floor between the two floors. Like I said, a screed is poured in here. And then uh, underneath, there is a stud frame system 
put in place and then the wires and cables and any other services are run inside that and plasterboard is fitted to it afterwards. So you have a lot of bits and pieces involved in that. You have the construction of the ceiling underneath with the frame and the plaster slab. And you have, as we looked at here, you have the slab and then you have the screed that you have to put over that as well. So there's a few parts to that. And if you're putting concrete at first floor level, you will nearly always need a concrete pump. So that's another uh, cost to be added into that. Uh, but it does attenuate sound. And if it's done right, it's a good fire barrier as well. This one now involves these things that I know you guys don't want to hear about at all, concrete blocks. But this is block and beam. And again, this is being done here on a ground floor because we can see the earth underneath. But this can also be done on the first floor or subsequent floors. And these are just simply precast concrete beams. There's a little shoulder on both sides of them. They're called T-beams, usually, the letter T, T-beams, because they resemble the, the, the shape of the letter T. And a block just sits down in there, and another block will go here, and another block, and so on. And that makes the floor. Now, you have two options with that. You can put your wooden floor down on top of that if you want straight away because they're all the one height or you can pour a screed on it or you can simply pour a wash on it. And a wash is simply um, a very fine, very little but a small amount of sand, an equal amount of cement and a good bit of water. And it goes on as a kind of a slurry and it drains down into any joints that's between the blocks and anything that's along here between the beam and the block and it will seal it up and you can put your wooden floor on that or your concrete or your um, carpet or whatever you want. But you'd want to put a good underlay on it because there might be slight imperfections uh, on the face of the blockwork themselves. But you, you guys, because of what has happened and the nature of your group might not want to hear or see of these at all. And I perfectly understand that. I put these on my house and the reason I did it was very simple. I didn't need a crane. We were able to lift these beams up ourselves. We were able, with a bit of scaffold on either side, to move them into position. And we carried the blocks up and dropped them in. And it saved me the cost of the crane. Uh, and it gives you a little service duct there underneath to run things along. But now you cannot drill this or you cannot put any holes in it to put cables through it or anything like that, because that will significantly weaken it. So that's a no-no. This one here is a concrete slab being poured. So this is the wall here, this little joint that's hard to see. This is plywood that's out here. And this is a deck and there's reinforcement steel in it. And the services are, are already being put into this. So this won't be plasterboarded underneath. These are uh, light fittings. And this is the pipes here for uh, toilets or sinks or whatever is, the, is, the, is there and the reinforced concrete and then a concrete pump will be pour, pour the concrete into that and it'll level it off and that will form the floors between the two. Um, uh, a friend of mine did that in his house and everybody has their own method that they like or dislike or whatever. But anyway, we'll move on. So the next thing I just want to talk about is rainwater harvesting. Um, my own view on rainwater harvesting is that should, it should be um, mandatory in, in all new builds and in, in all houses. Uh, nearly most days of the year, it rains in Ireland and we put in pipes and drainage to take that water away and put it away to a soap pit or out into the uh, stormwater drainage if we're in town. And then 
we buy water to replace it that we could have used uh, when we could have used this, sorry. So we're buying a product um, when we're throwing the same product away and involving actually cost in disposing of the product. So it's not very expensive to install. Rainwater harvesting isn't. It's a simply, it requires a tank um, and an underground tank. The water from the gutters is piped into it and then it's drawn back into the house and it's used for toilets. Or if you use it with filtration, they might have other uses too in the house. So this is just a photograph here of a lean-to or whatever. And here is the underwater tank. So if you're doing a new build, it's very inexpensive really to do it because you'll have a track machine around the house somewhere doing work or whatever. And you just simply dig the hole. Um, you can. This is a concrete tank, but you can get plastic ones and you can get ones that are different shapes to this. And you can put them down on a, <clears throat> and on uh, you, you can, this one has put in a concrete slab, but this, that's because it's a concrete tank. But there's some of them you can just put down into the ground. They're designed for that. And then you pour the soil back in around them. You wouldn't know that they're there, except that they have this uh, chamber cover here in case you have to clean them at any point. And basically all that's in it is the, the rainwater is collected here in the gutter. It's piped down in here. It goes through a trap system that stops leaves and debris from getting into the water. The pipe then goes in and the water goes to the bottom of the tank and it's turned up to aerate the water. So it's not just spilling in here on top and being drawn from the top, because if it did, there would be stagnation here in the bottom. So all the new water comes in, goes right to the bottom. It's turned up here and that blows the water up and it aerates the, from the tank from the bottom. And then there's a submersible pump put in there, which sucks the water out and brings it back into the house. Um, so that for me, I, I'm campaigning for that for a long time. I just think that it's a, it makes great sense in Ireland. Um, converting the attic or adding a third floor. Just a couple of words of warning about that. There are different building regulations for third floors than there are for uh, first or second floors. Uh, a more robust fireproofing um, is required. There's also uh, more emphasis on the emergency escape issues and there are also construction issues. So there are big considerations there. You need stronger joists as well. So if you decide that you're building a two-story house and you're going to convert the attic while you're at it and make it a three-story, um, there are big issues for that third story. And that's fine maybe if it's just for storage or for all the things that we have nowadays because there's more bits and pieces now than there ever was. But that aside, um, if there's anybody going to be occupying it, like living in it or working in it, a home office or anything like that, um, emergency escape issues, it's a long way down if there's a fire and uh, also construction issues and you need stronger joists and everything. So that's just something to consider there. I'm going to talk about solar and PV panels for a couple of minutes. Uh, two main types and the solar ones, ones that heat water, solar tubes, and then ones that generate electricity, photovoltaic or PV. So that you'll see them on the roofs of houses. Some of them just heat the water but some of them are actually uh, generating electricity. Um, there are also tubes that heat water and contribute to space heating. Uh, and I'll be talking about space heating in a couple of moments. And the ones that do that uh, use a compressor. And I'll talk about those when I'm talking about space heating. So um, 
just to have a look at them. These are solar evacuated tubes. This is up there a few years now. And there's a little metal frame here. And these collector rods are here in glass. And this one doesn't have, I don't think, maybe it has, I can't just see it rightly. I don't think it has though. It doesn't have a reflector behind it. Usually nowadays there's a foil, well, a plastic foil a reflector panel that goes underneath those so that sun rays hitting from the side uh, are bounce off the, the, the um, reflector and will heat the, the rods uh, in these pipes here. And then that's just piped into the house. Now, the way that that's done there, where it goes through the roof, has to be sealed properly. Um, I would always like to put the solar panels as high up on the roof as I can. And the reason for that is that uh, this pipe then is up at the top of the roof. So there's less water flowing down the roof towards that joint. That joint is there. It's halfway down the roof or whatever it is here. Uh, I would always rather have that joint as close as possible to the top so that uh, there wasn't any water. Okay, water will still fall onto it, but the flow of water down the roof, if there's or snow or anything like that, is not attacking it or not putting pressure on the joint where that goes in through the tiles or the slates or whatever roof covering you have. Because basically, that's a hole in the roof that that pipe is used to go in. So these just heat water. They will heat water, depending on how cold the water is inside. Um, I had an electrical problem in the house, my own house there last week. And I have these type of solar panels and the power, the power was gone. Um, and the power was gone. The, the um, heating wasn't working. The immersion wasn't working. So I was gone for a couple of days. And when I got back, I discovered this and the tank of water was quite cold. So once I repaired the fault, uh, I noticed that these panels started working straight away, even this time of the year. This is February. This is the first time I've ever seen them to work in February. But the reason for it was the tank of water was excessively cold. Well, not excessively cold, but colder than it would normally be. So the panels were able to add to it, um, which is unusual. But normally you'll get all of your hot water requirements for the summer months and about half of it um, for the autumn and the spring. And then a small bit over the winter, a hot day or whatever the panels would be working away uh, and you can see it on the clock on the wall but um, in winter time you won't get much benefit out of them but definitely in summertime you don't need to have immersions on or heating on or anything like that they will absolutely have piping hot water for you planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
This one is, these are the PV panels that I was talking about, the photovoltaic panels. So their job is to generate electricity, not to heat water. And these are solar collectors and uh, they will generate electricity while the sun is shining on them. So these are great for shops or offices or buildings that are occupied during the day. So if you are working from home or living at home and um, well, everybody I suppose lives at home, but if you're living in the house during the day or if somebody is there and they can put on uh, washing machines and the dishwasher and all those things that are using electricity, um, the, this, this is generating the electricity as it's required. Uh, otherwise you're drawing it off a battery um, system. So uh, it, these solar um, photovoltaic panels for me suit people who are occupying their building during the day better than those who aren't. Um, it doesn't make financial sense without the, the grant to do it. And I'm not fully sure that they're efficient enough yet, but that's a matter to be looked into. Um, so this is a smaller amount. Uh, again, this is seven panels uh, on a roof. The other one uh, is a big collector array. Space heating, I talked about that briefly. The two most popular units, methods at the moment are air to water, where the unit is located at the rear of the house, or geothermal, which is heat sourced from underground, and it's more expensive than air to water. Both work on broadly the same principle. And what they do is they, uh, they use compressors and they need electricity. And they both run underfloor heating pipes, so you won't have radiators. There are other options for heating the space as well. This is an air to water uh, unit. And what it does is um, when you uh, heat a gas, sorry, when you compress the gas, it heats. It's one of the laws of physics. Any gas that you compress, um, it, the temperature of the gas will rise. So they use compressors and the air is drawn in from outside and the compressors compress the gas and that gas then uh, heats the liquid. That's, it's not water, um, the liquid that goes through the underfloor pipes in your house. And that's basically what it looks like. And it sits outside the house somewhere. Geothermal is a similar version of that, except it's not getting it out of the air. It's getting it out of the ground. It's considerably more expensive. Uh, but both of these systems use electricity as a backup. So if you set the clock on the wall that you want 18 degrees or 20 degrees or whatever you want, you will definitely get it. And if the air isn't able to do it, or if it's the geothermal system, if that's not able to do it, then the electricity will do it. And I'm, uh, electricity is not the most efficient means of heating anything, but that's how they work anyway. So just a quick word then on finishes and fit out. Um, there's a lot of things to be considered uh, in, the, in the finishes of a house, um, depending on if you're buying a system house, then some of these might be done already. Um, if you're getting subcontractors, you've got to get subcontractors for every one of these. Um, or if you have a builder, a main contractor, then you probably won't have to worry about any of them or most of them. So carpentry, electrical, heating, plumbing, tiling, kitchen, uh, wardrobes, decorating, site works, and there's probably more. Um, so all of these, if you're, if you're self-building and you're using direct labor or you're using subcontractors, you've got to get guys to do all of these jobs separately. And that can take a bit of coordination and uh, a bit of lining up uh, of all the guys and labors and materials are rising in price all the time. 
and there may be supply issues and delays because of that. And this brings me to uh, another point on that, which I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, just going back here to the, uh, yeah, sorry, to ventilation now. Um, you can put air vents in the walls or the windows, or you can use mechanical ventilation. The house has to be ventilated. This shows, uh, this graphic shows how uh, mechanical ventilation works. And basically there's a pipe here that draws air in and there's a pipe here that blows the air out. So that's the fundamentals of it. The air that's coming in goes through a heat exchanger here and it is preheated. The air is preheated by the air that is being blown out. Now, the air that's being blown out and the air that's coming in do not cross-contaminate. They travel in chambers adjacent to each other and the heat transfers across them, but there is no direct connection. So it, you won't have stale air in the house. So the cold air is drawn, uh, sorry, the, the, the hot air that's in the house is drawn out of the kitchen and the bathrooms in the house, goes through the heat exchanger and the heat that's in that air preheats the air that's coming in, which is blown then into the living spaces and the living areas. In terms of mechanical ventilation, it, like I said, it draws air out of the house through the bathrooms and the kitchens, passes it through a heat exchanger, preheats the air coming in and it's piped to the rooms. It needs maintenance and it also can, there can be noise issues. So where that heat exchanger is located is important because there might be a little hum out of that. And you don't want that in this, in the, they usually put them in the attic and they, you don't want that directly over a bedroom or someplace where somebody is trying to sleep. And uh, it's a good idea as well not to fix it directly to any of the timber structure of the house, but to put it uh, mounted on rubber blocks or something that will stop the vibration traveling or increasing the noise. Other bits and pieces, uh, there's more of these if you don't use a main contractor, but there's security, insurance, health and safety, plant and equipment, scaffolding, rubbish disposal, recycling, and lots more. And somebody has to sort this. So um, if I don't know what you've, you've you system you might have decided or be thinking about to do with your to build your next house but somebody has to look after all of these issues so if you're using direct labor or subcontractors then there's going to be who's going to be in charge of security you're going to have to have your own insurance you're going to be responsible for health and safety you're probably going to have to hire in the plant and equipment if any of it is needed you have to make sure that it's in use and that you're not paying higher on something that's sitting because the guys that work to drive it or to operate it aren't in. You'll also be responsible for scaffolding and maintenance of the scaffolding to make sure that guys don't just rob bits out of it to make room to do whatever they're trying to do and then cause a secure or a safety hazard. Um, rubbish disposal and recycling and lots more. So those are things to take into account as well. I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just trying to be realistic and practical. They're just things that have to be dealt with and managed. And it all needs coordinating, which can be time consuming. Subcontractors may also look for day works if they're delayed. So what that means is that say that this guy there and he was to do, um, I don't know what, carpentry work. And you are responsible for the sourcing of materials. So the subcontractor comes to site himself and his two helpers or three helpers or whatever. And they're standing there and they, the materials that you had promised to get aren't there. So they kind of continue now to work on price 
So he might say to you, well, I'll have to get day works while I'm here. What that means is it's that they want to get paid per hour. Um, and that's can work out quite expensive because it, they, he'd be putting a margin or she would be putting a margin on their labor costs. So if they're paying somebody 20 euro an hour, they'll be charging you 40 euro an hour for that at least. So day works is uh, where subcontractors arrive at the site. They have taken the price, the job on a price, but something that you said you would have sorted out for them. It might be scaffolding. It might be planting equipment or it might be raw materials. Whatever it is, if it's not there, the guy might hit you with this and that can run into a substantial amount of money. So just to beware of that, really. So the final thing I'm just going to talk about now is house plan review. And this is an area that I'm doing an awful lot of work in now. And that's where people send me their plans once they've been drawn up by uh, their architects or designers. And I have a quick look through them or a maybe a detailed look through them to try and identify areas which might need more thought. Uh, and I'm just going to show you some examples of the type of things and why it's important just to look at them. So here I've just taken a snapshot of a house plan and this is two bedrooms and there's a corner window here that I was talking about. So for me here in this particular, the reason I've highlighted this here is not so much the corner windows, although they are going to add a cost themselves because there's the corner lintel system that I talked about earlier on. Uh, but here we have the head of the bed and we have the head of this bed here. So there's only uh, 120 mil between this pillow and this pillow here. So whoever is in that bed there and you're in this bed here, it's almost the same as sleeping beside them in the bed because any noise that's here will be heard here and equally any noise that's heard here will be heard there. Um, so in this particular case, that bed there needs to be put on this wall back here. So that's just one example of the sort of thing that I do when I do house plan reviews. I do loads of other things as well. Um, but just in terms of that, um, you can say, sure, well, that's only just the way the architect or the designer has drawn it in and it doesn't mean anything. Well, the problem with it is that it does mean something because unless you specify to the electrician, for example, well in advance that the bed is going over here, the socket will end up here beside the bed. And if there's a bedside light, it'll be on this wall, even though you wanted it over here. So it's always better to get somebody to look at your plans to see if there's any of these sort of things. And this is only one example. There's, I'm going to show you another two examples in relation to this here. Now, the two doors in a second. But this sort of thing here, the time to discover that is at the drawing stage, not when you're living in the house. When you build your house, there shouldn't be any surprises. Uh, it should perform exactly as you expect it. And there shouldn't be any shocks or surprises. And there might be things that you have to compromise on that you cannot get perfectly right or whatever. And if that is the case, at least before you built the house, you knew that that was going to be there and you make your peace with that. In terms of the do doors here, just the way that they're swung, they open back against the wall. Uh, it's sure in terms of uh, when you look at the, the footprint of a door on a drawing, it's a bit deceptive because the reality is that we cannot put anything in this area here inside the door because somebody coming into the room steps into that area so there cannot be anything there and then they close the door behind them but what happens if they don't close the door fully say they only half close the door so imagine that that door is ajar and it's it's there anybody out here in the hallway has full view of what's going on in the room 
absolute full visibility. Whereas if that door was hanging on this side here, if the door was left half open, it still gives full privacy to the room. So those are the sort of things that I pull out of drawings. There's another one there in that. I'll show you another one quickly. And this one here is a main bedroom with a balcony from the main bedroom and a flat roof area out here. So you could put your coffee table or your, your uh, barbecue and all that out there. Uh, and this is uh, in the, on the first floor of a house. So your friends come in, you tell them, come on, we'll go for a barbecue. I'll bring you up the stairs and I'll walk you through the main bedroom and we'll go out onto the balcony and we'll have the barbecue. I don't think so. But that's the way it is here in this. So balcony, uh, uh, double doors or uh, patio doors in bedrooms are pretty much impractically, really, because we're not going to use them. If you're building a house normally, you have a mortgage on it and you have to go out to work and earn the money. So you get out of that bed as quickly as you can. You get into the shower and whatever, and you're away. And then you come back at night, you're tired. You're not going out into this area out here. So in this particular instance, the guy, it's an exaggerated example because there was a, a single story piece downstairs and he just wanted to bring it back into play or bring it into use. And he put the double doors here. But I see lots of people putting balconies out and they're lovely in Spain and the Canaries and places like that, but they're not that practically really uh, in Ireland. But And they, that patio door, for example, is going to be more expensive than a window. So that's just another point there. And finally, I'm just going to have a quick look at this one. This house here has an entrance hall. It has a kitchen, living, dining, uh, sun lounge, dining area, everything all in one. And then it has a study bedroom or a lounge. It has a toilet here at the back. It has a utility room. Um, and all this is on the ground floor. And um, there's no draft lobby here, for example. If there was a draft lobby here, just a little screen there with another door, you would get immediately a better building energy rating on that house. That is one thing that would improve the BER of that house. And if you were at the bottom end of the A scale, or sorry, at the top end of the B scale, and you put that in, it might be just what would bring you into the A3 uh, category. But for me, the big thing here to look at is this massive open plan area. And I don't particularly like these at all. There's a lot of glass in this house as well. So it's going to be substantial heat loss through that glass. And you're going to be hammered on the building energy rating because it takes into account the amount of glass that you have. Because glass is never as good as an insulator as the wall that the window is in. But anyway, we have the kitchen, the dining area uh, here with the dining table. We have a living area here and we have a sun lounge here. And we have a stove here, a back-to-back -back stove. Now, for me, I would close off that there and put a door into it because it's a massive area. For example, if somebody burns the toast here, people sitting here, here, and in all these spaces and here will know about it. We cannot close the door off on noise. We cannot close the door off on smells or we cannot close the door off on anything like that, conversations or privacy or anything. So while open plan areas have, are nice and they give a feeling of space. I have a kitchen dining area, um, which is uh, all the one, um, as many people have nowadays. But this whole big open plan area, uh, it's going to be hard for that stove. You know, you're going to be drawing a lot of fuel into that stove to keep that warm, to add to the heat in that area there because of the heat loss at nighttime through the windows, the big windows that are in that. So that's just what I do anyway. 
um, and how I can help there. I can help you to review your draft plans. I can help you to brief your designer. Um, I can give you general advice and I can give specific advice and I give follow on help as well uh, while you're building the house. And uh, I've uh, had a lot of very satisfied clients at the moment because they're surveyed afterwards. So anyway, thanks very much for that, for your time. Um, sorry for coming early and sorry having to dash away pretty quickly, um, unfortunately, uh, under time pressure. But anyway, if there's any quick questions, I'll take them. And once again, thanks very much. Thanks a million, John. That was uh, very informative. A lot to cover there. Um um, Astrid, if you don't mind, just yeah. for a second, and sorry to interrupt, because I have to go. Oh, go ahead, Michael. Yeah. How how are things going, Michael? Now for you, what in, in in your members? What what are their thoughts, or what type of houses are they thinking of building going forward? Well, surprisingly, there is. Um, we, we expected the vast vast majority to be pure like for like, but that's not the case. It's probably sixty percent of them are either going slightly the upsize or down in size, you know. Um, and in, that, in terms of construction method, are they going to use timber frame or block or um well that's what this was all or... about. That, that that's what this was all about, John. You know, um certainly I would say based on um my conversations, uh timber frame will be out in front at the minute. And probably because it's just been more familiar to people. But I myself have been to two different sites now I've seen ICF from two different suppliers underway it's a very impressive process as well um it's very impressive you know, process, you've got a, yeah. yeah you know and you have a you have a 25 or 35 depending on uh what they're looking at um you know newton reinforced concrete wall in there and uh you know bearing in mind that we had blo blocks at three newton you know to step up to 25 or you know between 25 and 35 newton and a reinforced wall is a, a big step forward and the, obviously all the insulation and the benefits that comes with that then. We also looked at SIPs as well and um, I've been to one house so far along the M lines and again, equally impressive. So I think what, what this was about and why we wanted this to happen and I want to really thank uh, SelfBuild for getting involved and yourself, John, here, is that um, we just want to open up people's minds to the fact that what we had available to us or at least what we were familiar with 20 years ago, you know, times have moved on greatly. And I think people need to know the nightmare that they're going through here, that ultimately the finished job will be a better house than what they were in. And I think that is, you know, you need some silver lining after all this time and, you know, the campaigning and the, and the heartache that families have gone through. But, you know, we should have a better, much better built home, leave the mic and pie right out of it. You know, we'll have a better built home. It'll be built to... Um, it, well, the question here is around the standards. That's, that is an issue for us. 2007 is what the housing department have asked SCSI to budget for in the costings. Not that's that's the absolutely rate. ridiculous, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what their their justification for that is that they are not going to fund betterment, what they call betterment. So as far as they're concerned, they're going to try and get us back to what we would have had if we had not have had make our pyrite, but not one thing better uh, or one ounce better than where we were before. And, well, you, uh, you know, you're, you, absolutely you, have you to are able that. to. Yeah, it's against yeah, the climate yeah, action yeah. plan and everything. Like it's because against everything. government policy in general. Since, since 2007, the regulations have stepped up and up and up and up 
to 2022. Mm-hmm. And if, mm-hmm. if somebody who isn't in this unfortunate situation that you guys are in is being asked to build a house, he is obliged and she is obliged. There is, it's not mm-hmm. discretionary. They are Absolutely. forced to build a house. And it's, it's, you know, I don't see like for like in anything else. There's mm-hmm. new for new for old is what everything else in insurance and everything covers. Yeah. If I break that pin, I have to go out and get a new one. I cannot go out and get one that's down three yeah. quarter ways already down in the ink that's in it or yeah. whatever. So you, and, and Michael, just any on, help on that, that you on, there on that? Yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely, John. Um, but on the parallel to that, your pen will not give you or expect you to uh, buy uh, a. And seven pen, but they will give you a book that reflects what they believe was a 2007 pen, knowing you can't buy it any longer. And then you're forced into the situation where you have to find the difference of money yourself. And that's what they've done to us here. And that's a bit that we're really struggling with here. So that's an issue. It's not an SCSI problem. They were given the remit. Um, I don't believe they're particularly happy with it. That's when you're reading between the lines in the meeting I had with them, but that's what they were asked. 2007 regs so that's, that's a real the, problem for us here that's the society of chartered surveyors is it yeah correct yeah 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 okay, okay michael not, not i gotta problem, go but it's the i'm really sorry i i have Thank to leave you for your time, I'm sorry, michael but michael any way that i can help any of your members individually or collectively as a group or anything i will help in any way I can i'm fully supportive of your campaign and your i'm not only should you be getting your uh 2022 standard house but you should be getting compensation for the hassle that you've had to go through as along mm-hmm. with it because no yeah, who yeah, yeah. who wants to build a second house like if they can yeah. no this is it. anyway this is it. best but, of yeah. luck yep thanks okay, a million john. john appreciate it sorry i have to leave you take care bye okay bye um, so, and yeah, Michael, ask, yeah. yeah, in terms of the yeah. like for like planning, do you think there's going to be a mm-hmm. bit of wriggle room in terms of because the only benefit of the like for like is not having to apply for planning permission, is it? That's about the height of it, yeah. And I don't see a lot of wriggle room there. I think they'll allow whatever it's the uh, 40 square meters or whatever to the back of your house. You no, know, right. it'll be okay. no different, it'll be no different to any other house. Um, you know, the, the Micah Pyrite won't buy us any additional wriggle room from what we can see. Um, so there, there is that. So, you know, I, I think that they have cleverly um, insisted upon the foundation staying on, on a like for like. And that what that's what allows them. And the scheme is based on a remediation scheme. So if you keep the foundations in there, it's seen as a material alteration as opposed okay. to a new build. And because of a material alteration and the spirit of an, a material alteration might be if you had to, you know, replace the roof or replace the windows or replace um, a few walls um, or a conservatory, that'd be a material alteration. The spirit of a material alteration was never meant to be an entire house being built from the port foundations upwards. But technically, that's what it is. And that's what allows them then to insist upon 2007 regs being applied. It's crazy. Now, it's not yeah. that they will insist upon them being applied. They're just going to say, that's what we will fund you. You can then go and put additional monies to that if you so please. So that, that's okay. where they're at. So that, that's one area of concern for us. But what I am encouraged by is that SCSI, their approach is that they have used 
quantities of surveyors on the ground from the affected counties, and they're they're providing the information from which SCSI will make the proposal. So that's encouraging and much better than a desktop exercise by um, the housing department in Dublin. So I think that's all good news for us. We just need to see what comes out the other side very shortly. The other things that I would say just mentioned in there quickly would be um, regards the uh, opening up of the market itself. So I think the alternative bills and what has been useful through self-build here is that um, you know a lot of our contractors are traditional concrete block building contractors and um you know there is so much um demand and so shortage of a, a supply it really leaves them in a very strong position um that coupled with the fact that there's not the faith in the blocks that there once was means that people now have options and if they do use the icf options or the timber frame options or sips options or the other options that are right there what it does, it takes them homes out of the market and it makes the homes that are left that want to be block built uh, homes again, it, it leaves them in a better place to get a better deal than what they would have got before. Because I think a significant portion of the market will now be uh, swallowed up by alternative build methods. So that just means that there's competition then, which is good for the homeowner. Yeah, and um, there is yeah, there's cost parity as well in terms of how much it costs to the timber is, yeah. frame is isn't more expensive or anything like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, and for the grants, because I heard I don't know if this is like the um the grants for installation and PV and all that kind of thing that is meant to actually yeah. be included in your scheme. Yeah. So what well, what they're Would doing? Would you get is, that? Yeah, we, we we can avail of that. So whatever grants are available through SEAI. Um, whatever grants are available through them, um, we will be also able to apply for them. They're meant to be retrofit grants. So, you know, you've got your home and you want to, you know, raise the energy rating of your home. That's what it's designed for. But it will be allowed for us as Micah and Pyrite Homes as well. But it's a 50% grant. Now, the difficulty is that when you have got other things to contend with, for example, um, you know, there's no finishes allowed for in your house, not even carpets in the rates we're getting. So all of that you're funding yourself and you know the amount of money that it takes to finish off a house. Yeah. So, you know, by the time if your money, your own personal money spent on that, will you have the 50% that's needed then to bring the house up to the latest regs as well and energy mm. ratings? Quite probably not. So that's going to be a challenge for people, which is why we think it's, was completely unfair to um, impose the 2007 regs in there for budgeting purposes. Um, we we are still resisting that, but that's the remit that SCSI were given, you know. Yeah, yeah, and any so delay that's, that's is, is unwelcome, well. obviously, for for you guys. Mm. And, um, and, and sewage as well, because usually, is there an update on that in terms of, um, can you keep your septic tanks and stuff? Because the, the regs have tightened up there as well quite a bit, so... Is there any info on that? Probably that's yeah. probably nitty-gritty so, stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's all relevant as well, Astrid. So really what's happening is that we have a situation where you've got, um, I'm sure you can hear my dog barking in the background. Oh, you'll my hear my kids in, in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they, they, they confined it to the footprint of the building, largely speaking, right, for the purposes of planning permission. 
that was meant, in other words, say, for example, you had sight line issues and, you know, the, you know, the, the, the uh, rules had changed or the criteria had changed. Well, it, it, just because you either demolish your house when you're rebuilding again, you don't have to worry about sight lines. You didn't have to worry about the sewage part. You didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, it was just the footprint of the house that the new planning permission was confined to look at. Um, so with that in mind, the sewers are not part of it. That said, if you had got sewers and some of them were built, the, the septic tanks were built with blocks, which have caved in. You know, mm. we've had manhole uh, with man, uh, block built manholes that have caved in. There's an allowance of two thousand euro against that. So that okay. that's all they've done for sewers. But bar that, it's the that old sewer system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's the old sewer system. Yeah. One other interesting thing, just for anybody listening there, is that uh, a, a big issue for contractors was the 25% retention, um, which is big. You know, if you've got a contractor with uh, maybe three houses on the go at the one time and they're sitting waiting on that final sign-off um, and you can't get your final sign-off, for example, to your house is completely painted uh, and finished off, then, um, you know, and you're in the winter and you're not going to be out painting in this weather. So, um, that was a big deal uh, for for uh, public works and for social uh, housing. It's only a five percent retention that contractor would face, but because it's a private house and it's a defective concrete block scheme, it's twenty five percent, which was completely unreasonable. And we think there's a strong possibility we're going to get that reduced to six percent. So that okay. will make it more attractive because we were struggling to get contractors contractors to even take on our projects because yeah. of all the red tape associated with, um, you know, at a, at the administration that's associated with between council and department, and then a 25% retention, and then the fact that it's a contractor's market out there, they've got any amount of work, this work wasn't attractive, this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. And so who signs off? Are you going to, is it going to be the, actually, so an engineer from the council, or who gets to sign off on this, on the build? On, on the build itself, on the, final on the stages build. and yeah. on the final, yeah. Yeah, so right now the scheme's in transition. So the old scheme, it was the homeowner engineer that would sign off on all stages of the house. Um, when we move to the enhanced scheme, the first early part of that will be done through the housing agency engineers. Yeah, so uh, no, it's still the homeowner engineer at this point in time. Time okay. is signing off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At least there'd be more, it'd be quicker if, if that's the case. Um, yeah. yeah. And I just want to thank yourself, Astrid, um, and Brian. Um, it's been really good. I think we would have had probably a much bigger audience if we had got some of the scheme details out of the way. I think people are still preoccupied about what is the deal going to look like and yeah. just haven't got past that in their minds yet. Moving then on to the next stage of, okay, what about our new home and what might that look like and what's the mm. best build methods and all that. Mm -hmm, so we mm -hmm. may have to revisit the, re revisit this at well, some time again to. in the future, yeah. uh, whenever yeah. people's heads are just in that different space then, you know, so right yeah, now 100%. it's still, yeah, in yeah. the trenches here with the government, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, and hopefully it'll get wrapped up this year if things move yeah, swiftly. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, that would be yeah. just nice. That would be just yeah. great, actually. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, thanks a million, yeah. so Let's really hope to that. Thanks a million, Michael. Okay. Take care. Cheers. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye bye. Bye bye. Join us next time for more tips and advice from experts and self-builders alike. 
And if you haven't already, subscribe to Self Built Plus. It'll give you full access to the selfbuilt.ie website, including the Self Built Plus journey, which is your step-by-step guide to self-building and home improving. Your membership also gives you first access to all videos and podcasts, as well as access to our members-only Facebook group, which features regular Facebook Live events.